0: Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to, and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guests today on the Bringing Her Hope podcast are Holly and Jake Strasheim. Holly and Jake have been married for seven years and have three sons and another baby on the way. They love adventuring outside, working on DIY projects, and spending time as a family unit. Everything was perfect within their marriage, or so Holly thought. Her husband, Jake, turned away from Christ, dealt with a secret addiction, along with marital betrayal. But then God stepped in with his undeserved mercy, redeeming and restoring and rebuilding a marriage that they thought was shattered forever. God made a way where there was no way. Holly and Jake, you guys have been on a journey and thank the Lord that he has been faithful to walk with you. So why don't you take us on that journey with us?
1: Well, we got married, like I said, and I had thought that everything was kind of perfect. I mean, marriage always has a struggle. And people would always say like the first year is the hardest so any like communication issues or us not spending time together or anything didn't really feel like that big of a deal. We were pregnant with our oldest. We got pregnant with him about a year into our marriage. And that's when life decided to throw us a curveball, which honestly was more the Lord bringing out secrets, because that's biblical, like, whatever is in the secret will come into the light, and that's really what we were walking through at that point.
2: Yeah, a lot of, um, like, when when we did get married, we were, well, I mean, I was, what, 23, 24? Something like that. I don't know. I'm really good with time, so (laughs) I don't remember things. Um... But I got married, I mean, we got married not not super young, but young enough. And we both went into marriage uh, rather naively, um, thinking that, you know, oh, all these problems will just work themselves out. Um, marriage counseling, oh, who's that for? That's for people that are messed up. Well, we were all a little messed up. So we could have really, we had, everybody could glean from something like that. Um, and like Holly was saying, the, I, I was, uh, I, I was diving heavily into pornography at this point in time. Um, and I thought, you know, oh, once you get married, that just goes away. It's not a problem anymore. Um, that is, couldn't be much from the truth. Mm. Um, as that continued and my, my addictions grew worse, uh, we weren't talking as much as a couple. We we were not being intimate as much. Um, we We stopped being... Husband and wife, and turned into well. I mean, we live we live with each other, and I have to basically make sure that she has food on the table. Mm-hmm. So we we went from marriage to roommates, and that's when everything started to really make a turn for worse.
0: And how were you guys individually feeling when it pivoted kind of to a roommate feeling? How were you? How were your emotions at the time? Were you? available to what was happening, but unsure how to fix it. How were you feeling at the time? Holly, let's have you talk first on that.
1: I was very confused. I didn't know what I had done wrong. I felt like it was my fault. I would try to talk about his day at work or his time at band practice, and it would just be one or two word answers. I was very perplexed. He would just fall asleep at night, and so intimacy kind of went out the window and that was really hard. Like, gets, like I said, I it was my fault. And mm-hmm. so I kept going over, like, did I just, am I gaining too much weight during pregnancy? Like, mm-hmm. is he just over me? Did I make the wrong choice of marrying him? Like, all these different really hard thoughts of trying to sift through, like, where, where did we fall? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about his pornography addiction when we got married. So when all that came out while I was pregnant, I was totally blindsided. So it felt like this man who's been my best friend and then he pulled back away from me, all of a sudden was a total stranger. I didn't even know who he was. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And so that brought a lot of grief and anger and frustration and pain. I felt like I had been living this double life like. You had told me you love me, but then you were doing all of these things. How does that work? And just, I was very naive to how addiction in general works.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I reacted out of this, how could you do this to me? Instead of understanding that it's the addiction part of it um, and the science behind how that works. So that brought even more shame onto Jake. And I feel like at that point, he really reclused further into his own shame, and I did as well. So then we just shut off. Mm-hmm.
0: And how were you feeling, Jake? Uh,
2: around that time, um, I was uh, getting, well, I was in a band. It was just a cover band, and we just, you know, played ball gigs on the weekend. And then it started to turn into a uh, a band where we would write music. And where I was was, I was all about this band. Mm-hmm. That was my life, and I was looking at my wife, who, um, she she, well, a, she was pregnant, but even prior to that, it was this, um, like what what how I was seeing it was, when in reality all she wanted to do was spend time with me and be a couple. It was, why are you spending so much time with the band? Why are you why why aren't you home? Why 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 you have to keep going? And in my mind, I was being selfish, just saying, "Well, this is what I'm doing. Like, why wouldn't you want my band to succeed? Why aren't you coming with me? Why, why do you have to be such a stick in the mud?" Mm-hmm. And in reality, she didn't want to go spend, you know, hours in a music studio drinking beer and being around people who smell bad.
0: Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, why? Why not, Holly?
1: Come on. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I just I can't understand it.
2: <laughs> so, and through that. Through that time period, I was growing further and further away from her because I was looking at, at her as this, like, I, like the, the whole ball and chain thing of, mm-hmm. oh, so I can't go have any fun because you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And in reality, she's she's you know basically asking me, no, I just want to be a couple. Yeah. I, I do want to be included, but there's things I can't do. And I was just being blind and selfish.
0: So you're at the place where you're feeling like you're just roommates and what happens next on your journey?
2: What happens next? My my band continues. It it gets actually a pretty decent following in the Portland area and, and Washington and throughout Oregon. And we, we, we're getting a lot of gigs and I'm continuing a spiral downhill. Uh, my pornography addiction is way worse. I'm... Seeking other women, um, I, I'm, I'm having an, uh, affairs. It's it's going downhill and it's going downhill fast and it's on fire. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm in a terrible place and I am completely blind to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely blind. I I think that I'm. Oh look, this is the rock and roll lifestyle that everyone dreams of having and I'm starting to have it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Holly's in the background going, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want a part of this type of a lifestyle. And I'm still looking at her as this ball and chain, like, great, here's someone I have to drag with me to the next gig.
1: And for me, it was really hard. All of a sudden, we weren't talking. We weren't spending time together. He was at band practice four out of five days a week. At night, and he wouldn't get home until eleven. If he came home, sometimes he would fall asleep on the band floor. Um, and then he had gigs on the weekends and sometimes multiple gigs on the weekends. so he wouldn't be home until late Sunday night, and then he would be at work the next day. And so at that point, I was working two jobs because I had all this time to kill. And I just thought like this is gonna be my life. this there's never we're never going to get back to the way we were dating when we were going to church together and we would talk about the Lord together. I had just slowly seen my husband turn into somebody that was dark and his eyes shifted. It was hard to even really look at him. And I went to a lot of his weekend gigs, but there was one in particular that it was a pretty big gig and I was, about halfway through my pregnancy with our oldest and uh, I was watching my husband on stage and he was a lead singer and he was pumping up the crowd like a lot of lead singers do. But there was a shift mm-hmm. and I, I witnessed this moment where he was like, he threw his head back and put his arms out wide. He had his leg up on an amplifier or maybe it was their monitors. I'm not sure which it was. And the crowd was just cheering for him and I'm like, he is their God. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I shut down at that point and I was broken and Jake has told me before and maybe could reiterate this, that he witnessed a shift in my facial expression at that point of like, usually I'd be kind of beaming, like so proud of my husband, like look how far he's come. But at that moment, I shifted because I realized there is no god besides him now. Mhm. Like, he has gone. And that was really tough.
2: Yeah, what, what she's what she's uh, witnessing there and from my perspective on the stage is even though that I at this point in time I looked at her as the ball and chain what I wanted affirmation from her. I wanted the you know, good job, hun. Wow, you're that was awesome what you did. I wanted that that feeling of That that she takes pride in what I do, and so I'd always look off to the side where she'd be sitting or standing and see her, and I'd see that look on her face and the smile, and that that look of wow, he's come so far. Look what he's doing, and that meant a lot to me. And I remember this gig. I remember turning and looking right after that moment took place, and the lights, you know, jump up, and the crowd goes berserk, and the music was just exploded out of the amps and I look over at her and she's looking at me like she's looking at some sort of like horror documentary. Mm. It was, there was no, no look of pride in her eyes or amazement. It was just this look of almost disgust. Like, what has happened? Like, well, what am I... Is this the Rocky Horror Picture Show? What am I having to sit through? Mm-hmm. It was... And it was a, a, a shift in me, of say, of seeing it, thinking, "What? What now?" And at the time, I wasn't looking at it like, "Oh, I'm doing something wrong." It was, at that moment, what I was seeing was, "Okay, this is the shift. This is where it's going to either fix or fall completely apart." So, next part is basically. Uh, Through the band, I end up getting into trouble. Um, Apart from the bar tabs that we would rack up at the end of the night, um, we would also rack up plenty of other trouble to take home, and some of this trouble really got me into way more trouble than I had anticipated. Mm. Um, I ended up getting arrested. And, And through this arrest, I end up... Basically in a a holding cell, um, sitting down, thinking to myself, how on earth did I go from up and coming success to sitting in a cell wondering if I'm going to get out or if I'm going to be spending months in prison? Mm -hmm. What, what, What happened? Um... And it was in there is when I finally started to—actually, uh, um, um, jail was the first time that I had picked up a Bible, because there was nothing else to do besides sit. in probably five years. And I remember sitting in that cell and looking at this book and just hearing God sit, tell me, I'm still here. I've never left. mm you just shut me out, and there was kind of a breaking point for me, but it wasn't the it wasn't the end by any way. it was the beginning of a process that I had to go through to find out who God was all over again
0: and Holly, what is it looking like for you as your husband is in jail what's what thoughts are going through what prayers what do you what are you saying to the Lord at this moment in time?
1: I was Again, it was another form of blindside. So in between like that gig moment and the arrest, there was a slow but sure constant unveiling of more and more of Jake's secret sins. So more and more of who my husband actually was, was coming out and that was really hard to realize that the person I had been with was honestly kind of fake. He wasn't an authentic person. And then when he was arrested, I was completely blindsided because there had been some investigations and he had said that they were wrong. So then all of a sudden, my husband's driving down the driveway after being arrested and the detectives are telling me that everything he had said was in a lie for like the last year. So, again, I was in shock and in trauma and completely devastated. Like, wait, you had told me you hadn't done this. What, What is happening? And at that point, we had had two kids. and So our baby at that point was about eight weeks old. So I was pressed into being a single mom of a one-year-old and an eight-week-old. And having the detective tell me that you would be lucky if you even get to speak to him in the next 30 days before his arraignment. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know the how the system of justice worked. So we're just going through those motions. And I remember I collapsed on the floor and, and this very aggressively screamed with every fiber of my being and threw my wedding ring across the house. I didn't, I had nothing left. And at that point, I just said, God, you have to step in. You have to save him. If this is how you get him back to you, then do it. And I'm like, I don't care if we stay married at that point. Like, you just, you have to, you have to save him. And so over the course of, The next couple months, it was just a lot of prayer, a lot of sobbing out to God, like, how did we get here? Is my husband okay? Is he safe? What is the status of our marriage? What is the status of us as a family? How are we going to do this? Because sentencing doesn't happen, like, automatically, Mm -hmm. and the sentencing date kept getting pushed out. So it just kept prolonging the thing, but it really did give Jake... I think, the time to grasp who God was and find clarity. And it gave me the chance to really get to know God all over again as well. When Jake started slipping back in our marriage, I had put God on this back burner. And it kind of made him secret because Jake didn't want to be at church. And this whole process really reminded me, like, I'm God's daughter regardless. Amen. I'm not just Jake's wife. I don't have to just have that. And so I built up my faith again. Um, so it was a process of me letting the Lord just hold me and love me. Well, I didn't know what the future held.
2: So during the time of uh, of her going through all this, what led up to that is I spent about three days in county jail, and it was there where I heard the Lord you know, tell me that he's, he's been there the whole time just waiting, and I asked him just, what do I need to do? I don't want to be this guy. I don't want my kids to have this type of a father. What, 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 what do I got to do here, Lord? And He just I heard him say, darkness has no place in the light. So you need to put all of it out into the light? And that's when I was released from uh, County. And that's when I came to my wife and I said, listen, here's what's been going on. And I spilt my guts over the next couple of months. And I, I say the next couple of months, because there's so much of it where I was either intoxicated and I just didn't remember. And things started to come back to me once I started to sober up and everything. Um, Uh, or it was just, oh my gosh, I I did that and I completely forgot about it. Like, There was just so much that I had to completely go back into myself and say, what have I been doing these past four years of my life? Where have I been? Who have I been with? And I finally figured out all of it, and I divulged it to Holly over time. And for me, at this point, it was absolutely terrifying because I'm thinking to myself, If I everything I had to come forward to, I'm thinking to myself, this is going to do it. This is going to be the stick that broke the camel's back. She is going to, she's going to leave me. Mm -hmm. And this entire time was a time for me of having to trust the Lord with everything that I had to come forward with. And I, I mean, like, like you told me that the darkness has no place in the light. So I was just saying, I'm trusting you then. God, if there's, if there's no darkness in the light, then I'm going to put all of this in the light and trust that you're going to have my best interest at in hand. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. But in the end, it was so worth it.
0: And Holly, how did you receive um, just basically everything laid out before you as to what your life had looked like really over the last four years?
1: There was a lot of silence as I would process it. Because like Jake said, he kind of like disclosed his betrayals and the affairs and the pornography and all of that over the course of a couple months. And so every time he wasn't living with us at the time while we were waiting for his sentencing. So anytime I would go and visit him, I was petrified. and would actually shake on the drive over, not knowing what else he would tell me. Mm -hmm. That was, Extremely hard not knowing like, okay, what else have you been doing behind my back while I was at home making your dinner or taking care of your kids or wishing that you were with me or wondering what I had done wrong so you didn't want to be with me. All these horrible thoughts that the enemy had distorted in my brain making it feel like it was my fault. And so there was life and it was extremely relieving to finally have all my questions answered. But it was also crushing mm-hmm. and very traumatic to realize, like, you've been living a secret life and your reality's been a complete falsehood for years. So that part is very dark and honestly pretty blurry mm-hmm. because it's hard to remember exactly how it all went down because it just seems like it was one big... Crushing, Um, and then the day of his sentencing came, and we had been preparing for and thinking it could be between a ninety day sentence for his crime or eight years, and we didn't know.
2: So during that court hearing is when God really showed up. Mm -hmm. My 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 attorney that they gave me was was completely useless. Um, (laughs) This. You did absolutely nothing. It was kind of this, well, you did what you did, and we're just going to see what the judge has to say. And I'm sitting back just sweating, thinking to myself, wonderful.
3: <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> I,
2: yeah, I could spend, you know, 90 days. I could spend eight years. We don't know. We're just going to flip a coin and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get in there, and after I, I talk to the judge and I just explain how I'm trying to change. I started seeing a counselor. Mm-hmm. I, I started to really change my life around and I just owned what I did. I, I just told her, "Is like, listen, everything that you're putting, you're, you're, you're accusing me of. Yeah, I did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be this guy anymore. That's why I've taken the time to find a good counselor and to better myself. And uh, my, my attorney kind of just basically sat there and, <laughs> She looks at the papers and goes, well, we're going to give you 60 days jail because you're already in a treatment program. We don't want to disturb that. So we're going to give you 60 days jail. And I thought, wonderful. Like, <laughs> I'll take it. And at that point, it was go home, get your affairs in order, and then um, go check in at the jail. I said, Okay. They give you a little slip, and it kind of has like what you did written on it, and what you what you've been sentenced for and so I walk up to the the little window where i'm it was kind of weird, like not everybody just walks up to a jail and says, "Hey, I'm here to check in you know like, <laughs> it's 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 a really odd experience, and so I walk up to the window, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like, "Hey, I'm here to get a room, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one with the pool? I i don't know what to ask for here. And so I hand in my paper and the gal just says, hold on. And she walks away. And me and Holly are standing outside kind of like, do, do, do I wait against the wall? Do we just stand here? Like, what? she comes back and says, do you want an ankle bracelet? And says, how, how, well, sure. I don't know. Like, is that better? She's like, yeah, you can go home and it'll just be stuck on your ankle
0: no way
2: yeah i'm like i'll i'll take that and prior to me going in i actually sold every bit of music gear that i had Wow! i had about ten thousand dollars well actually it probably had about three grand in music gear and i sold all of it and i let want walk away with Like five grand
1: something like that, yeah. it wasn't
2: it wasn't nearly what i paid for it but I sold everything. Yeah, and he
1: was trying to make sure that our bills would be covered while he was in and we were preparing for as long as we could. So he told the lord like this is my sacrifice. I have to take care of my family and this is my responsibility. Here's my stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we found buyers for it all, which was amazing and
2: Yeah, actually a lot of uh, some of the guys who bought a lot of my gear um are at the church that mm-hmm. we go to now. Um, so it's actually kind of neat. I can actually go back and still play a lot of my old guitars because <laughs> they're now being played at church, which is perfect. But we we didn't, I, like I said, I didn't make nearly what I bought everything for, but it was enough to cover bills, and it covered the entire cost of having to be on that ankle bracelet. Wow. So I went in that day, was sentenced, and then that evening I found myself... I went in thinking somewhere between three months to eight years, and I that night I'm back home laying in bed with an ankle bracelet for sixty days, and that was it. So, and and basically at that point I was thinking to myself, "This is God. There's no other way to. There's no other way to, to explain it. This is this is God. The the, the people. This this doesn't happen." I mean, when you're accused for a crime and you admit to committing it, yeah, you can get some time off because you were just forthright. But to go from that much of a uh, of a time frame down to just two months on an ankle bracelet mm. was totally god. And that night, I remember laying in bed and just weeping, just because of where I was and everything that I'd done and who I used to be, and it was just like I'm. It was just like God completely wiped the slate. It's like, I mean, He said, if, you, if uh, you ask for forgiveness, He'll give it. And it was literally like, I was like, Lord, forgive me for what I've been doing. It was like, okay, slate clean. Let me take care of you.
3: Mm.
2: It was the most humbling experience I have ever gone through in my entire life.
0: And Holly, how are you feeling at this moment? You guys are laying in bed. Everything has changed, even the trajectory of what you thought the next couple months was going to look like. How are you feeling?
1: I was floored. Like, at this the sentencing, like, gabbled down. Okay, I'm preparing for a few months. Being a single mom still. I have no income. Like, how am I going to make all these payments? Like, some stuff is going to cover it, but not all... And he was able to come home and say goodbye to our kids, which was devastating. I mean, they were so little; they don't have any remembrance of this day. But for Jake and I, it was it was so hard knowing like this is gonna be the last time we see them for a few months. And then on our way, I chose to be the one to drive him in to check in. On our way there, we were just crying, mm-hmm. and but thanking God, like but Lord. This is so merciful that it should have been eight years. It could have been eight years. I mean, that would be still justice. Mm. And yet you're giving him sixty days, like we just couldn't thank him enough. And we got to the jail and we're standing outside and I'm like taking pictures of the clock on the wall, like, no, we're here, like right on time. Like we didn't know what we were doing. And then when that lady came back and told Jake that he had um benefits posted on his sentence and he could work still and be on the ankle bracelet and kind of under a home arrest. We we didn't have we didn't have work. I was like, wait, what? And then I got to drive my husband home that night. Like it was beyond grace. It was undeserved mercy. And I didn't have any words for it, I'd just been praying that God just protect us and keep us in your hands and provide for us. And then he just breaks what I had thought was going to happen. It was shell-shocking, to say the least. And on our way home, it was the most beautiful scene ever. It was pretty dark um, in the day, There was still just enough light that over our road to get back to our house, there was a full rainbow. Mm -hmm. And that, like, we both started bawling at that point. Like, his promises is that he will never let disasters happen and that he will always take care of us. Look at what he just did. And just laying in bed that night, we just couldn't stop, like, laughing. And hugging and <laughs> just feel completely like shell-shocked and bored of what God had done. Like talk about a faith booster, like yeah. that wasn't, that was the field of what I thought that God would do.
2: It really kind of pulled actually away from the severity of everything that happened. And it was almost, it was almost humorous in mm-hmm. a way of like, God just did what? Yeah. And it really <laughs> kind of, I mean, honestly, I think that we honestly needed it. Mm. couple because it took away from the severity of the entire situation and just brought that joy mm. of, you know, the, the captive has been set free just like the Lord said he'd do. And it was that breath of fresh air of God still has us. Thank mm. you. And it was, it was really, really, but like I said, humbling. It was joyous. It was still kind of scary. I remember driving home thinking, are they going to, like, realize what they did and then this to the cop <laughs> car and be like, wait a minute. Look. Psych.
0: Like, just a minute. Let's try that again. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> it, was, it was so weird
3: yeah,
2: but so joyful at the same time. It was, uh, it was exactly what we needed to kind of just bring our spirits up just enough to prepare us for the next two years of heavy counseling.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, my probationary period, which I had to do three years of, but that's just checking into an office. Um, and just all all the other things that just slowly started to come forth and, um, bits of relapse into pornography, um, and then having to come through that and me learning how to own up to it. And it, it was just enough of a break, which is what we needed to get us prepped for the next, you know, two to three years of battle.
0: What has forgiveness looked like for you, Holly, and and you, Jake? I think you guys probably both had to forgive each other in different ways.
1: Yeah, forgiveness, oh, that's been a tough one to munch on, to be totally honest, Mm -hmm. because I know that that's what I needed to do. And so uh, when he had brought up just the pictures in general and the porn in general, and then that he had lied and covered for his crime, and... All of these different lies and this deceit that we had lived in. I said yes, I forgive you. Like yes, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, yeah. I'm not going to hold you to those, but there was a time where I had to take a walk. And before Jake's sentencing, I took a walk since I didn't know how much more truth I could actually handle. Yeah. And uh, I just. Went off. I don't even know how far I'd walked. a couple miles just praying, like, God, what do I do? I want out. I'm done. I'm so angry at him. He's not even the person I thought I even married. Mm-hmm. He, the two years we have been dating, he's been lying to me. I have, I am completely floored. I am fine to do this on my own. Like, God, what do I do? Because I want to be in your will. Yeah. But I want out. Yeah. And the Lord showed me this picture of me and Jake holding hands and he put his hand over the top of ours. Mm. And in that vision, he looked over at me and he said, well, eight hard years in front of 80 good years.
3: Mm.
1: And he's like, I'm not done with your marriage yet. And that was actually not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> to be totally honest, at that moment, I was like, Lord, I want to be released. Like, I want to hear you say that I'm done. Like, I can, like, move on from this. And he didn't. And at that point, I had to choose whether I be obedient or would i not. And I wanted to be within God's will. So I said, okay, God, no matter how hard this is, I trust you to get me through it. So I'll stay. And so I had forgiven Jake, but it was very premature forgiveness. I hadn't realized the depth of the pain of his betrayal. I hadn't noticed the depth of his deceptions and what that had done to my reality to where I had distorted truth in my own head to work around the stories he was telling me. Like, oh, wait, no, I am crazy. He wasn't on the phone that night for a couple hours talking to somebody I didn't know. Like, no, no you're right, you were here with me, like, all these reality distortions, um, I hadn't noticed had broken me so hard, so there was, honestly, probably a good two years of total darkness. I was in deep grief, I went into, um, what my counselor has said is called betrayal trauma, and that actually gets symptoms of PTSD. So if Jake went to work and then he didn't call me on his way home, I would lose my mind and start to panic thinking, who is he with? What is he doing?
3: Mm.
1: Or if he went to the bathroom in the morning, that would trigger the trauma of what is he doing on his phone? What's being secret? What is he deleting? What is he hiding from me? So I was constantly on edge and extremely angry. I mean, I was joyful, like we were together. We were going to church again together for the first time in our marriage, honestly. He was walking into church with me, raising his hands and praising God, and there were so many beautiful portions wrapped around this, but in my heart, there was so much healing that I needed Jesus to still do. And so forgiveness, honestly, authentically has taken... And sometimes it still takes time. Yep. And there's even times now that I'll get triggered still. And he hasn't had a relapse into porn in a couple years, and I still get triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that betrayal does. It's like you grieve a person who's still with you. Mm-hmm. And that's been the hardest thing to just allow myself to take to the cross and be authentic with the Lord. I thought a a good Christian wife would just say, yes, I forgive you. Yes, I love you. Yes, let's close this together. And I am here for your healing, and I am here for your redemption, and I am your biggest man, and I am praying for you, and let's do this. But that wasn't really me being authentic to, so, yes, that's true, but I also needed to come to the Lord and be like, God, I am so angry at him today. Or I am so broken over to what has happened to us. I am so mad at this situation or this situation was triggering or or anything that got screwed up, um, the relapses of, God, I know this isn't my fault but it really feels like my fault. I want to take the blame. I want to rescue him from those consequences of this relapse, but I can't. But, mm-hmm. So God, I need you to just take care of this for me. So it really forgiveness has been a journey of being authentic with the Lord mm-hmm. and letting his grace fall over me so that I can extend that grace to Jake because on my own,
0: I can't. I love there that. is no
1: fathomable way.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I And I want to like, call to the carpet. I like to call things to the carpet a little bit on this, on this show um, <laughs> about, you know, what you just said is I think society says good Christian women or good Christian men will be immediately able to forgive. will not need to process anything. will just, and that is just not true. I mean, that is not true. That's not just you for, for you, Holly. It's, it's for all of us. Like the Lord wants yes. us to tear down every single wall and window and door and say we will let you in, and I love that you ran to him. I love that you were like, "Hey Lord, today sucks, and I need your help." Or I don't know how to forgive <laughs> him today. Many days like that. Yeah, and it's it's forgiveness, honestly, like you said, is a journey. It's a, it's a daily choosing. I'm sure that there were times that it was a by hour choosing, by second choosing. So let's call that to the carpet right now. Is uh, the definition of a good Christian woman or a good Christian man is not someone. Who has to shut everything off, but instead open up and, like you said, be authentic with Jesus, um, Jake? For you, what did forgiveness of self look like?
2: It was it was hard. There were I I would move back and forth, and basically it was it was me having to come back to the Lord and to really really surrender myself unto Him that presented the most challenge because at that point. I had to start forgiving myself for what I did because he already did. He already forgave me. Yeah. So wh- who am I to continue to carry something that he's already pinned to the cross? I, I don't have that authority yet. I still. And so I had to start to learn to forgive myself because I kept on doing the whole, like my kids don't deserve a person like me. I'm just garbage. Why would I, you know, th- this was all a mistake. I should just go back and, you know, just say, hey, put me back in. You guys made a mistake. Like There was, there was a lot of uh, going back and forth between that and just saying I forgave myself and trying to move forward, basically lying to myself, saying that I forgave myself, and in reality, I didn't. It was a long process of having to understand that I have been forgiven because I asked. I asked for forgiveness, so he gave it, and I had to let go of basically all of the the hurt that I caused and give it up a hundred percent. And my pride was really, really uh, damaged because I had to basically let go of what I wanted to, want to, and give it up to him. So self-forgiveness was tough, but it, it I finally got to that point where I said, okay, you know what? I can't forgive myself. Because um, with when God forgives us, he sees us as, as whole and made new. And I'm going, okay, well, if he's, I, I had to get to the point where I said, if God's going to see me as as a whole and a new, then I have to see myself the same way. Mm-hmm. And once I finally got to that point, it was much, much easier to finally say, okay, I can forgive myself. I can let this go. I can move forward, move forward with my life. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that, you know, I completely just forget about everything I did and everything's, you know, just totally fine. And no, I remember what happened and what I did, but I don't hold it over my head.
0: I want um, both of you to answer this question. Um, Let's start with you, Holly, first though. I know that there are going to be women or couples listening, and they are in the thick of just marriage that feels shattered. Um, And what would you say to them? What what piece of advice, what piece of encouragement um, would you say to them, Holly?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You're
1: not alone. It's so scary to walk through that darkness of having a disclosure happen from your husband or you find out by accident about something he's doing behind your back and it makes you feel so incredibly alone. And then the church, I don't feel is very open that these situations happen, yeah. even within the church body. And so it makes you—it made me especially just isolate even further. Like, not only is this my fault that my husband has this problem, but now I can't talk to anybody because we're the only one in church who possibly has it,
0: right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No, that's not true. So I would say, one, you're not alone. Find a great Christian counselor who can walk through the science behind addiction so that the wife can understand that he can't just stop. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way to break those habits and those chains and that chemical trail in his brain. Yes, God can definitely bring a dark moment where things come crashing down and chains are broken and it doesn't... And it won't be a factor in your marriage anymore, but there's still going to have to be some form of counseling to help rewire the brain structure. And that's the devastation of pornography in general or affairs or cheating. Um, And then I would also say, sweet wife, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Nothing about it. And husband, it is not your fault. You chose it but this is not who you are. So that's what I watched Jake go through is that the shame that the secrets carried and the identity crisis wrapped around it and him using pornography as a coping mechanism for this deeper-rooted pain, seeing him fight to find a new identity that was tied to pornography or tied to this rock and roll lifestyle was so hard for me just to witness. It's been beautiful, but it was really hard because he would struggle and he would wrestle with it. And there was nothing I could do because that was what he had to walk through. Um, and then I'd also say, authentic with your emotions. And if there's a really hard day, just run to Jesus' feet because he will wipe every tear even if it's been years and this one memory got flooded back and all of a sudden you're crying and you want to scream at him because you're angry at him again or your husband is all of a sudden in shame again because that voice is saying, but don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember who you were? Both husband and wife need to run to Jesus and he will show up so much more honest and so much more authentic and so much more real than you would have ever experienced if you hadn't run to him with those emotions.
0: And Jake, what would you say to the couple or the person who's in the middle of a marriage that feels like it's irreparable?
2: I'd say to them that if you trust in God, then if if you trust that he has his best interest in your hand, if if you trust that he can do anything, then trust that the man that made the earth you stand on in seven days, trust that he can also fix a marriage within any time frame he, he so chooses. It's it's a tough road. There's not about that. But from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, and what I've been through, there's hope. No matter how far you um, I've had, well, me and Holly have had, what, four years now of, uh, a wonderful marriage. And granted, not every minute of that has been wonderful, but there's definitely been moments where it's just like, uh, okay, God, I thought you said you were going to do something good. What happened? And, you know, once we started really pressing in harder, um, to each other as a couple, and realizing that God does have our best interest, that success started to show up. One thing that I've uh, had had to find is when me and Holly started to repair our marriage, we weren't, I wasn't, well, together, we weren't really repairing a marriage. We were repairing a friendship. Mm. And we had to become friends all over again first before we could ever become husband and wife again. And we had to start to learn to communicate again. So what I can tell more people, what I I like to tell people is don't give up. Continue to learn how to do better. Like Holly said, there's great Christian counselors out there. They will help walk you through things to do to better yourself and to better your marriage and to better well, your marriage as in a friendship basis. I I can tell you right now, if if you're not friends with your wife, you're not going to have a successful marriage. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it.
0: (laughs) How would you guys say that your relationship looks different after learning all that you've learned? And how do you guys choose each other now with three kiddos and Mm -hmm. one on the way?
2: I, yeah, I, I wake up in the morning and I mean, here, here's what I can say about pornography addiction, and to, to any guy out there listening to this, don't think for one minute that once you disclose that you have a problem, don't think that that's it, that you're just going to be fine and everything's you know I can just by myself. No, I have a bad news for you: is there are women all over the planet, yeah. and men are naturally uh, attracted to women. That's all there is to it. Like. <laughs> So temptation is constantly going to be there. And so every morning I wake up, and if I get that temptation, that type of a thought, what I have to do is when I wake up in the morning, I have to look over at my wife, who's usually asleep because I get up early, she does, and I just look at her and I just say out loud, not to the point where I'm going to wake her up, but I just say, it to, say to myself out loud, I choose you. Mm. I don't choose the other thing. And as soon as I declare and I make that choice aloud, those temptations start to just flee. Yeah. They start to go away. And, yeah, there are there are mornings when I have to sit there and I just look at my wife and I say, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. In Jesus' name, I choose you.
3: Mm.
2: It's a battle. And it's a, it's a battle that I, it's a battle I think that a lot of, especially in the church, people kind of get the idea of, oh, once I beat it, I win. No, no, that's not how it works. It's an ongoing battle, and I think there's a lot of things in this world like this. It's an ongoing battle. You keep, you keep fighting, and the best thing is, is once you start fighting with the Lord on your side, you start to win.
3: I
1: think the biggest thing for me, the difference is, just walking daily life with Him now versus the honestly the false marriage that we had began to build. If we can say. Hey, that makes me angry. Mm -hmm. Or hey, that hurt my feelings. Or hey, I really just wanna know that you wanna be around me today. Could you could you reaffirm me? And there's no shaming, there's no blame shifting, there's no uh why are you angry? There's like there's none of that defensiveness anymore. We've come to understand like his emotions and my emotions are our own, and we don't have to both feel the same thing. We're both very codependent at mm-hmm. the beginning of this, and walking out of that has been a challenge. And I think we still battle it, but it has been so freeing for me to go like, Jake. This one thing popped up on my Facebook memory, and I remember actually how we were feeling behind the scenes that I wasn't being about. This was really hard. Can I just have a hug? Hmm. And he doesn't take that, like, dude, you were such a horrible person, and you're this, and you're that. I'm angry today. And he doesn't defend. Him. He just holds me and says, but I'm here, babe. Hmm. And that total shift of us both, both recognizing that Shane doesn't have a voice here, that hmm. truth does has been the best thing to walk through. And at first, when we started healing, there would be days we wouldn't think about it and we would be laughing and it felt weird. It felt like this horrible thing. Like, wait, why are we happy? Mm -hmm. And then as time has progressed, we realized like our mourning has turned into dancing. And it's been breathtaking to have him come home and I get that pitter-patter in my heart again. Mm. Or if I see him playing with the kids and he's leading them in a worship song in our house or praying over them at night, like, that's the father my children have, yeah. not this person before. And it just makes me fall in love with him all over
0: again every single day.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think that it boils down to we just become best friends all over again.
0: Well, Jake and Holly, I could spend another four hours with y'all, but we are uh, <laughs> needing to close in. But so many people are going to listen to this episode and want to follow you, want to connect with you. So how can they do that?
1: Um, so we're both on Instagram. Mine is just my name, Holly Strathheim. And Jake is under his um, self-employment name. So it's Iron and Earth Art. And then I'm also
0: on Facebook, just Holly Straw Farm. Perfect. And if you guys are listening and you're driving or you don't have a pen and paper to write that down, don't worry. We've got you covered. All those links are in the show notes. Well, Holly and Jake, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just for your transparency and your vulnerability and just your honesty. I know that God is continuing to write your story. And I'm so grateful that um, I know that he will continue to use your story to just encourage and empower other couples to keep, keep pressing play and keep being best friends, mm-hmm. keep choosing the Lord. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah.
1: Thank
2: Absolutely. you for having us. Thank
0: you so much, Bethany. What an incredible conversation with Holly and Jake. I could have talked to them for a few more hours. I just feel like they were teaching us so much about what it looks like to struggle in a marriage but continue to pursue your marriage. What it looks like to rely on the Lord and trust that He has you no matter what the outcome is. Um, man, I just this is a this is a tough subject for me. It's it's a hard subject. It's obviously super close to my heart, as you all know. I've I've walked through divorce, and um, I wanted to talk to the person who maybe is in the middle and they're waiting for that redemption story. And I was just listening to a podcast the other day that Lisa Turkhurst was a guest on and her and her husband um, experienced struggle in their marriage regarding infidelity. But she was saying when she was in the middle of it that um, originally she thought the definition of redemption specifically in a marriage was that God would heal and restore and they would be back together. Um, And while that worked out in her situation, it doesn't always work out that way. And the redemption truly is about your relationship with the Lord and how God can redeem that relationship. And so for me, when I walked through divorce, that was something that I really, really struggled with and wrestled with because I thought if I muster up enough faith, if I pray hard enough then anyone else can pray, then God will restore my marriage. And it wasn't that I was angry or frustrated that he didn't do it, but I guess I just didn't understand and I was confused but then when I started seeing that God has pursued me, no matter what, God has continued to be faithful, no matter what, that my growing in him, my deep connection with him has allowed me to continue to grow and develop into the woman he's called me to be, whether or not my marriage worked out. And so I want you to hear today that While the topic of the episode was about a shattered marriage and redemption of that, and it is a beautiful story that God's written, no matter what you are walking through, maybe it's a health situation or maybe it's something relationally, or you've gone through an addiction. Redemption is a journey and redemption is all about pursuing us back to the Lord and trusting him wholeheartedly and placing our entire world and life and story in his hands. So I hope that that encourages you today, um, that this is a journey and He has so much for you, such purpose, such plan, but He loves you deeply and to get alone with Him and spend that time with Him. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, you keep living those brave stories for Jesus. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption.